Welcome to Searchlight, a survey through Scripture with Pastor John Corson. It is our desire to bring you a systematic study of the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. Here on Searchlight, we have recently begun going through the book of Judges. This is an exciting book that is full of stories that have very practical application for us. Today, we will begin a verse-by-verse study through chapter 4. This chapter tells us of Deborah, the first woman judge of Israel. Let's now go ahead and join Pastor John and see what the Lord wants to teach us today. Judges chapter 4. Again, when we talk about the judges, we are not talking about men in black robes rendering judicial decisions from an oak bench. They're not judges in that way. These are men who are meeting out judgment against the enemies of Israel. They are deliverers raised up by the Lord to set free the people of Israel when the people of Israel found themselves enslaved by their enemies over and over and over again. This book covers a period of 400 years. And the people of Israel would continually plunge into sin in that time period. And because of their sin, they found themselves oppressed by their enemies. They found themselves enslaved in bondage continually. And then after a season, they would cry out to the Lord in desperation. And the Lord in his mercy would raise up a judge, that is, a deliverer, to mete out or dish out judgment against the enemies of Israel, that they then, the people of Israel, might be set free. And they would be set free and do well for a while, and then inevitably, sad to say, the people of Israel would plunge back into sin again, and the cycle would start all over. So we have seen three judges in chapter 3. The first was Othniel. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in verse 10. We don't know a whole lot about him, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he was raised up to set God's people free as the Spirit of God came upon him. The second judge, Ehud, he was the guy with the sword in his hand, remember, who plunged it into the huge belly of that very fat man, Eglon. And the sword went in, and the what? Dirt came out. And the third judge in chapter 3, verse 31, is Shamgar. Only one verse is given to Shamgar in this story. And he was simply out evidently watching his oxen. He had an ox goat in his hand. And the Philistines were coming his way. And the Lord empowered him to use that ox goat, that instrument of service, 
to take on the Philistines. And it says, incredibly, verse 31 of chapter 3, 600 men were taken out. 600 men were killed by Shamgar with that instrument of service, with that ox goad that was in his hand. So, gang, we see three things in chapter 3. The Spirit of the Lord, the Sword of the Lord, which is the Word, and service to the Lord. The Spirit, the Sword, and service. And all three of these things are pictured by those three judges, and we see them being used powerfully to see God's people set free. Same thing's true for you, same thing's true for me. We need the Spirit of God to come upon us, the Word of God to be a part of us, and then giving service to God that we might be free from our own self-absorption and see the defeat of the enemy. Well, in chapter 4, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So some years have passed, once again, to continue on this cycle of Israel. They're doing evil And this happened after Ehud, the guy with the sword who plunged into the belly of Eglon, had died. So, verse 2, the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor. Jabin was evidently the king of a confederation of Canaanitish nations or groups. And he was the guy that was ruling from Hazor, oh, which is 15 miles or so north of the Sea of Galilee. There is an interesting tell in Hazor, and if you go to Israel, sometimes we'll stop and check out the tell there that's at Hazor. A tell is is a mound where archaeological excavations can and ultimately will take place to uncover these ancient sites. Well, Hazor is a city, a tell today, a mound, a rather large one, about 15 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, if you can think of Israel topographically, with the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of the country, that freshwater lake. North of that is Hazor, where Jabin was reigning. Now, he had a captain, verse 2 goes on to say, that is a general uh, whose name was Sisera. And the children of Israel, verse 3, cried unto the Lord, for he, that is Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron. This guy Sisera, hey, he had a powerful, powerful military machine at his disposal. 900 chariots of iron. Chariots were like tanks in those days. Iron chariots, particularly potent because you see, Israel, the Jewish people, had not yet entered into the Iron Age. They didn't have iron weapons. Iron is far superior to bronze, to what the people of Israel had in their time, in that day. So these guys, that is Jabin and his Canaanite coalition, led by this general by the name of Sisera, with his 900 chariots of iron. Man, this was powerful stuff, you see. And the people of Israel cried to the Lord because, hey, they were being oppressed by Sisera, by Jabin the king. Twenty years he mightily oppressed them. And then, verse 4, the Lord raises up a deliverer, a woman by the name of Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. She judged Israel at this time. 
An illustration that God does indeed use women in service in ministry. There are those that try to say women can't be or shouldn't be used in ministry. Deborah is an illustration that that's not true. That's not so. She is going to be used powerfully and mightily there in the history of Israel, in the service of the Lord, in the ministry to the people of God, you see. It's an illustration. It's also a humiliation. That is because, well, no man was around that was willing to take authority or responsibility. A sad indictment against the men of Israel in that day. And sad to say it's true that very often men won't do what God wants his people to do in ministry, in missionary work, or what have you. And so, because the men won't go, oftentimes the women will. And Deborah, hey, her name signifies kind of who she was. Her name means bee, B-E-E. And man, she really was a bee. How so? She was, she was industrious. Uh, bees are very industrious. Do you know they flap their little bee wings 190 times per second? Think about that. A bee flaps its wings 190 times per second. I mean, that's, that's expending some energy, 190 times a second. One of the purposes for that, besides getting around, obviously, is they use those wings on hot days to air condition their hives. A hive of a bee is made out of wax that in nature can withstand the highest temperatures of any natural waxy substance, 140 degrees. But at 141, the, max, the wax begins to melt. And so what the bees will do is they'll surround that hive and they'll flap their wings 190 uh, times per second, which will actually lower the temperature around the hive and within the hive a number of degrees. And so they provide kind of a, an amazing air conditioning system as they flap their wings, you see. So bees are very industrious. They're very energetic. Well, we have the phrase today, he's as or she's as busy as a... Yeah, you got it. And they're also very discerning, these bees are. Bees are discerning. That is, they can sense stuff out. They have 3,000 sensor plates in their little bee head. And these sensor plates can actually sense the fragrance of flowers or blossoms up to five miles away. So when a bee is flying around... He actually has the ability that God built into him ingeniously to pick up on the smells of potential flowers or blossoms or gardens or orchards five miles away. And, and a bee is not only industrious and, and discerning, but uh, a bee also, well, they're sweet, you see. Uh, bees, of course, are known for making honey, and uh, certainly these qualities apply to Deborah. She, as we will see, was industrious. This gal had energy. She was discerning. She understood the heart and the will of the Lord, as we shall see. And she was a sweet lady, as we will also discover in our story. Like a bee, that's what she was, industrious and discerning. She was sweet, too. But also, finally, like a bee... She could sting. You know, she was a one-woman army. Be all that you can be. 
And uh, that is Deborah, you see. She was a one-woman army. She was able to mobilize the troops and get the boys going. And uh, she is quite an incredible lady. And there's lots to uh, appreciate and celebrate in the work of the Lord in and through Deborah. Well, let's read her story, shall we? Deborah was a prophetess. That is, she understood the heart of God. She spoke the word of God. And she dwelt, verse 5, under the palm tree of Deborah. The palm tree. Uh, I like that. My wife's name, Tammy, means palm tree. And uh, I think palm trees are the coolest trees around. I like palm trees. Palm trees, by the way, are the only tree that continues to increase in productivity to become more prolific in fruit bearing with each and every passing year. So most trees, they'll bear fruit and then they'll begin to peak out and tail off in their elder years. Not so with palm trees. They just get more and more fruitful all the time with each passing year. But be that as it may, Deborah sat under a palm tree and the people came to her to receive counsel from her, verse 5 goes on to say. She was there under the tree and they came and she would get to the root of their problems as she sat under the tree. Little tree joke there, but be that as it may, nothing stumped her. She was a woman that was able <laughs> to be discerning. She gave them good counsel. She, <laughs> Sorry, Mike. She had judgment, and uh, she gave to them real wisdom. Well, she sent, verse 6, and called Barak, whose name means lightning, and she said to him, discerning again, hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor and take with thee 10,000 men of Naphtali and of Zebulun. Get 10,000 Israeli men from those two tribes that were in that region, Naphtali and Zebulun. And this was the word of the Lord. Barak, you know he's spoken to you. You know this is what you ought to do. For the Lord says, verse 7, I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera this general of Jabin's army, and his chariots, and I will deliver him into your hand. The prophetess Deborah, speaking the prophecy that this man Barak, the general of Israel, already knew to be true. This is what the Lord has spoken to you, Barak, and you know that you're to go and engage Sisera with his iron chariots in the battle. Barak, verse 9, said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, then I will not go. My goodness. Talk about wimpy. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, here's this guy whose name means lightning. He's the general. Well, if you go, then then I'll go. But if if you don't go, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay in my barrack. So, you know, little army joke there. Barrack, you see his name, Barrack. But be that as it may... This is the problem. The people of Israel lacked male leadership at this time, obviously. God found a person that he could and did use mightily in Deborah, but sad to say what an indictment it was against the men of Israel in that day. For he would not go unless Deborah went with him, you see. Well, she said, verse 9, Okay, I'll surely go with you. Notwithstanding, the journey that you take shall not be for your honor, for the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Because you wouldn't be a man, Deborah says, the glory for the victory in the battle is not going to go to you, Barak. It's going to go to a woman. Since you're acting like a sissy, 
the glory is going to go to a lady. That's just the way it's going to be. So Deborah, verse 9, arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. Well, Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali, that is these two tribes that were in that region, part of Israel, tribes in the nation of Israel, to join him. And he took the 10,000 men and Deborah went with him. Now, verse 11, Heber, the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, this Heber had severed himself from the Kenites, verse 11 says. Heber, an interesting man whose name means crossed over, just like Hebrew means crossing over. Heber is a man that left the Kenites, the Kenites, not Israelites. They were living in Israel. They were the descendants of Moses' father-in-law. Moses married a Kenite woman, you see, when he was out in the desert. But now, it's interesting because the Kenites had settled in Israel, but they at this time, the Kenites, were in alliance with Jabin, the bad guys, the Canaanites, you see. But Heber, he left his old group. He left that old gang, and he began to dwell with the people of Israel. He crossed over. And he became one of the Israelites in reality. Well, they, verse 12, that that is this Heber and his wife, they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abonam, was gone up to Mount Tabor. They're setting him up. They let Sisera know. Why would they do this? Because they knew Sisera. How? Sisera used to be the general that ruled over Heber and Jael and their family. Because Sisera was in charge of the armies of Jabin, the king of all of those people that lived in that region who were not Jewish or Israelites. So there's a setup going on here, as we shall see. And that is that Heber, who left Sisera, left those people, was now wanting to be a part of God's family, if you would. They let this guy, Sisera, this guy they knew previously from old times, hey, a battle's going to happen at Mount Tabor. So Sisera got, verse 13, 900 chariots together, and he went towards the place of the battle on that advice from what he thought would be his old buddy, Heber, who no longer was. Well, Deborah, verse 14, says to Barak, get up. For this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Is not the Lord gone out before you? Hey, Barak, reveille was sounded, you see. Get up. Let's go. This is the day. Sisera with his 900 iron chariots have made their way to Mount Tabor. Made their way to that area where the battle is about to be engaged in. The Valley of Jezreel. Mount Tabor is a hill that sits right in the middle of the Valley of Jezreel, also known as the Valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. That may ring a bell for you prophecy students. But it's there in that region where this battle was to be engaged. And the Lord, verse 15, discomfited Sisera and all his chariots with the edge of the sword before Barak. So Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. This guy, Barak, who trusted in his arms, that is his chariots, his arms, is now fleeing on his feet. I like this. He thought he would be invincible. We shall see. What happened was the Lord sent a rainstorm. And this was happening during the dry season. No general would take his chariots out in rainy seasons. That was not the time that 
men went to war. They waited till it was dry. And in those days in that country, when it was dry, it was hot and dry. But from out of nowhere came this rainstorm. And, and the clouds appeared suddenly and the water came cascading down torrentially. And the chariots that were so seemingly invincible got bogged down in the mud. This freaked out the people that were around Sisera, this general, this bad guy. Because, hey, they were depending on their chariots that day. And their god was Baal, who was the god of rain. So now it appears to them as, oh no, we're in trouble. Our chariots are bogged down. Rains appeared out of nowhere. It looks like our god, Baal, has bailed out on us. It looks like he's not happy with us. It look, looks like hey, we're in trouble. Now what are we going to do? We know that it was the true and living God, Jehovah, who sent the rain. It's true. Our God reigns, you see. You know that to be true. In this case, literally, he reigns, R-A-I-N-S. As the rain came down, the chariots got stuck in the muck, and the people began to run. That is, these men were freaked out and ran in every direction, including their general, Sisera. So Barak, verse 16, pursued after the chariots and after the host, these guys that are trying to get their chariots out of the mud and running for their lives. Howbeit Sisera, verse 17, he runs away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. For there was peace between Jabin and the house of Heber in that day. In other words, Jabin, Sisera, Jabin the king, Sisera his general, were at peace with the descendants and family of the Kenites, the house of Heber, that family, you see. So, follow with me. Here's what's happening. Man, Sisera's running for his life. He sees off in the distance a tent, and he recognizes the, the tent. He recognizes the people. It's, it's jail. I know her. I used, to, I used to rule over her. I used to be there when they were living in the other region with the house of the Kenites, and I had dominion. Hey, they... They're under my dominion. He made a mistake in his thought that day. So he makes his way there. Jail, verse 18, goes out to meet him and says, Turn in, my Lord, turn in, don't fear me. So when he turned in unto her and to the tent, she covered him with a mantle. Oh, man. And then she's going to give him a Mickey, which we get Mickey mantle. She's going to really hit a homer here, literally. Uh, <laughs> that's... You have to realize, I just came out of the dentist's office, and they give you this stuff. Um, but uh, Jael says, come in here. And so Sisera goes in there, and, and he's there. You know, he thinks, oh, great. Here it is, folks. This old ruler that had dominion over them is now in the tent. As we pointed out previously, men never went into the tents of a woman, of a woman unless it was a husband who was invited in, you see. Very unusual. And, and it was the women that had their own tents. In fact, it was really intense because the women actually pitched all the tents. They were the ones that pitched tents and took them down and carried them about. The women did all the work in those days, even as they still do in Israel in the Bedouin tribes.
We'll have to stop our story here for today because we're out of time. You may know what is going to happen because we talked about this in another recent Searchlight teaching. Nevertheless, we do hope that you will join us next time as we continue this story and Pastor John will share with us some new and interesting things. We'll see you then. This teaching is also available on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. You will also find on the website Pastor John's books and other Bible study resources. Again, the address of the website is johncorson.com. We all go through challenging times in our lives, but we are not alone in these times. We have a faithful and loving God who walks with us day by day. To help us explore the faithfulness of God in these difficult times, Pastor John has made a book available called A Future and a Hope. In this book, John shares some of his personal experiences in dealing with tragedies, including the death of his young wife and later the death of his 16-year-old daughter. As John relates his own stories, we see a God who is faithful and compassionate at all times. A Future and a Hope is especially comforting for those who are currently experiencing tragedy or loss in their life. If you would like this book for yourself or someone you know, you can order it from our website at johncorson.com. Searchlight is a listener-supported ministry. We appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you.